For the past few weeks, we've been working with this um, series called Spirit and Truth. Because the kind of worshipers God is looking for are people who worship in spirit and in truth. Now, we, in week one, I'm just going to do a quick recap because there are some new faces here. In week one, I started off with this whole idea that worship always starts with seeing God. If you do not see God, you can stop the bus right there because you cannot worship without first seeing Him. So it always, worship always proceeds. Its fountain, its origin is always something of God that you have perceived. Something of God that you have seen. Now for many of you, okay, depending on your background, if, if you were born into a Christian family, uh, you might have been introduced to some of these concepts by way of Jesus is my Savior. And the saving work of God is manifest to you as the first place of encounter. For other people, it is God's supernatural protection. They were in a, a car wreck. Don't believe in God. Don't have a Christian background. Nothing to do with God. Suddenly, they have an encounter with a God who steps in and saves. Totally different. Not sin's salvation. That kind of saving but the God who defends and protects. Suddenly there's a manifestation of God and that leads them to a repentance for salvation. Does that make sense? So there are different places where God shows us His face, but it always starts there. It always starts with God showing us who He is. It's not a made-up concept. It's not something someone just told you. So for those of you who grew up in a Christian family, you got your work cut out. Because you guys know jargon. You guys know lots of it. You guys know how to talk the talk. But when you take the talk away and I ask you a simple question, what have you seen? That is where, that is the shelf that your faith sits on. So in our homes, for those of us who are parents right now, when you're talking to your children, there are so many things that, are, that seem like ambiguous concepts. And you might want to dive into a whole bunch of it. Don't. It's not concepts that's going to save them, but encounters with God. So when you start to see God, you will start to know God, which is the second step. Okay, so our first R was revelation. Worship always starts with revelation. If you have not seen God, you cannot worship God. The second step is worship begins with relationship. If there isn't a relationship to base that revelation on, you will end up with a religious kind of con conceptually, you know, God is... Like, for instance, one of those phrases we used earlier today, Donovan stood up here, and we all know that's his common introduction. We're going to worship the most holy and worthy God. Okay? Conceptually, I agree with that. Is he, though? Is he a most holy and worthy God? I don't care whether you agree, really. But the, do you understand the point? The problem is we think that it is something that is, eh, yeah, it is. But if I were to push on that subject a little bit more, when you walked in this morning, was God most holy 
and worthy in your estimation? And most of us would have to say no. Because it wasn't in our thinking. We might have got there in the end, but it wasn't in our thinking. I was thinking more about lunch. I was thinking about kids. I was thinking about, I was thinking about a whole bunch of things. But most holy and worthy wasn't in the zip code. Now, when we start to come to God saying, Lord, you have revealed yourself to me. And based on this relationship we now share, because of the work of Jesus, I come to you and I say, Lord, show me another glimpse of what that means. So you start to perceive who God is afresh. So there's nothing about God that becomes stale. You know, in, again, put this in the context of marriage because this is a, a concept we understand easily. Marriages don't flourish when the relationship becomes common. I know she's there. When I get home, she's there. Or he, he'll just do that. The pursuit of that relationship starts to become very common. I'm nothing, nothing to chase here. I don't have to worry about whether I tuck my shirt in. I don't care about changing my underpants. I, like, did you understand? The things that you would have done very diligently when you were dating. Hey, guys, I'm, we're, we're getting to some important things here, right? I know guys, right, who give up the pursuit. I know women who give up the pursuit of their spouse. What happens? You get lazy. It becomes commonplace. And we used that phrasing earlier when he was giving that encouragement. So when you, when you get to that place, what happens? The relationship starts to stretch. But what is actually stretching? And my sister Rosie helped me with this yesterday. Because when we were talking about the awe of God or the reverence or a fear of God, what does it mean to be in a, in a place of, Lord, I fear your name? It's to have an awareness that anything that separates me from that union is something I cannot stand. So while the basis for relationship is there, guess what is in there? Fellowship. Fellowship is something that makes a relationship thrive. So yeah, are you saved by the blood of Jesus? Yes, sir. But do you walk in the benefit of it? That is where the rubber meets the road. So unless you're willing to pursue this relationship with what we call one-on-one -on -one fellowship, where you're saying, I'm not willing to take what just because the Bible tells me so or the pastor told me so or the worship team picked a song because it says so, those things are secondary. What is primary is, I pursue God because He said, come seek my face. And when I... In his word and he says something about who he is, now the Bible tells me so is life and truth. When my pastor tells me so and it is connected to the Lord speaking and showing himself to me, that relationship starts to move to a new place of intimacy. Because it is now life and truth. 
When a song that says, worthy, worthy, Lord. Guess what? I might be just mouthing words that don't mean anything to me. Does it change God's worthiness? No. But in my estimation, he's not worth two cents. In my estimation. Until Revelation opens the door to something where I see suddenly and I'm gripped with it's, it's an emotional experience. It's also a highly profound intellectual thing. Do you understand? God suddenly hits you in the face with something that you never saw before. And that is life and truth. Why is that? Because He wants you to know Him. The third thing we dealt with, the third R, so revelation, relationship, reverence. Reverence always keeps the context of who God is very close. Because God is so holy and so awesome, but He's your Father. He loves to draw you close to Himself. But how can you, someone who is prone to walking in your flesh at times, someone who gives in to sin at different times, God is entirely pure. He's entirely holy. He cannot have fellowship with anything like that. But Romans chapter 12 tells us, in view of His mercy, we have confidence to come as a blameless offering before God. So when we do that, we come in view of His mercy. But if you have only a lopsided view of God, guess what? Fear becomes an afraid of. It is not an awareness of, I have lost union. Just like I shared in that illustration of, of, of a marriage union. It is not my... I don't cheat on my wife because I'm afraid she'll find out. Oh no. That, and, and no, I cannot cheat. That is not what keeps me. What keeps me is how can I violate what I have, what I have with her? That pulls my heart like... <laughs> The moment something even remotely grabs my heart, it is an immediate smackdown. Is it a smackdown? You bet it is. And that's what the fear of God should be to you. A smackdown that immediately draw, draws your heart away from choosing evil and says, I love the Lord. Because He hears my voice. I love the Lord with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, with everything that I have. Love the Lord. This is why it is the first commandment. Not the second, not the third. Because everyone thinks, when you hear Ten Commandments, what's the first thing in your mind? Shout it out. What is the first thing in your mind when you hear Ten Commandments? What? What? Don't kill. Okay. Rules, more rules, get it right, you better get it right, are you a Christian or what? Ten commandments in your house, do it. Th that is the concept everyone has when they hear ten commandments. But what God's heart was, I want to teach you to love the Lord. When you love the Lord, all those other things are no longer commandments. They are safeguards. 
The problem is we have become a culture, we have become a Christian people who are driven by, tell me what you want me to do, I'll just do that. Husbands at home, oh, what, what, you want help? You want me to clean the kitchen counter? Okay, I'll do the kitchen counter. Oh, you want me to do the dishwasher? Oh, I'll do the dishwasher. That wasn't the point. You live here. We are in a relationship together. We're in covenant together. Guess what? I'm having a really hard day. Can you do everything, not just the dishwasher? It's not about how much do you need from me today. The issue is, how can I give you all of who I am? When that becomes the motivator, there is a healthy... This is what the fear of the Lord does. Now, today we are dealing with responses to God. And when we deal with responses to God, it's in view of those three things. There is a revelation of who God is, and He will continue to reveal who He is. So my responses come back to say, Lord, feed this revelation. Lord, feed this relationship. Lord, teach me to fear your name more and more. Teach me to walk in an awareness of what you and I have more and more. That I'm no longer just someone mouthing words. I'm no longer someone just responding with worship because I guess I got to do it. So now when you read John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24, the hour is coming and now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is seeking such a people to worship Him. Now, this is Jesus talking to a woman who is talking about places and where to worship and how to worship and things like that. And she did not understand a lot of things. And Jesus, in a very firm but at the same time very caring way, addresses some of these issues which would confront Jewish religion and it would confront Samaritan practice as well. He says, because it's not about places. Because God's going to be worshipped not in just on one holy hill or that holy hill. He's going to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. Now that word there for spirit is the word that we translate as the spirit of God. He is someone who is spirit. So you cannot just simply say intellectually I can worship God. I understand the concepts that He is God. Now do you understand when, when you hear words like He is worthy, you're not going to make God more worthy by saying it. The issue is, have you seen that He is worthy? Have you seen that He is altogether holy or altogether separate, altogether different? And I'm telling you, this is something that will grow over time. You will never reach the depth of Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, I got that. I got God is almighty. I, I get that. No, you don't. Because tomorrow He will show you a different facet of what almighty means. And suddenly you're overcome with, Lord, what, how, what can I do to respond to this? And He says, let me show you. So the truth that He gives you will be enlightened by the work of His Holy Spirit who will take and blow... It's like an ember that he blows on that says, now let that become a raging fire. Let that passion, let that revelation and the knowledge of Jesus Christ go over all these things that you believe. Go over all the things that you have in your home, over all your family. So it's not just a circumstantial, 
oh, I guess God gave me enough money to pay this bill. God being provider now starts to affect how I parent. God being provider now starts to affect how I love my wife. God being provider engages with how I deal with people who have lack in my sphere of influence. If I'm prepared for God the Holy Spirit to teach me truth, the spirit and truth aspect of worship goes way beyond songs. Are you hearing me? Worship is fundamentally not about songs. Worship is fundamentally about your life being transformed by the Holy Spirit taking truth and working it into you. So that when you come to this fourth step, which is responses, it is never a light thing. It is never a, oh, I guess this is the part where we say amen. Or this is the part where we say hallelujah. It isn't that because it is now suddenly something that drives who you are. Psalm 42 verses 1 and 2 says, As deer longs for streams of living water, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? This psalm has really changed my life. This is one that I have read ever since I was a young boy. And this was one of the first things God showed me about worship. He says, you will only see as much of me as you're willing to pursue. You will only see as much of me as you're willing to pursue. If you're not willing to pursue, Jesus is my Savior. Thank you, Lord, for the work of the cross. I'm a Christian. I'm going to heaven. John 3.16 says. And there are many of us who have that relationship with God, and rightly so. But there is more. There is more of God to be seen. And the question is, do I have the boldness and the assurance to come and appear before God? And Jesus wants you to know, you do have that access. But it is not a casual one. It is one in view of revelation, in view of relationship, which is bathed in the reverence and the awe of who God is. So when I come before God to respond, I do it with a longing. Psalm 27, verse 8, Lord, you have said, seek my face. So my heart says to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Psalm 63, verse 1 says, O God, my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Like someone who is out in the desert and needs water and I've been walking for three days I'm parched that's how much I long for the presence of God and I know for a fact in my life I will not talk about your life I am content with a sip I got enough of Jesus I'll see you next Sunday ah, that was nice good word pastor that was a good worship time. Do you, do you see how we treat the presence of God? It is not something that, I cannot survive this day if I don't have time with you. And the word there for earnestly seek is the word saha, which is, happens to be in Elora's name, which is the early dawn 
the break of dawn, just before the light cracks through the horizon, I, anyone who's in the farming community, anyone who, who works the land knows you gotta get up, you gotta get going. You cannot wait till nine o'clock. You cannot. If you're waiting till nine, 10 o'clock, you've already lost half your day. The sun's gonna scorch the land in a matter of hours. You've lost a lot of your prep time. And this is why worshipers say, from the crack of dawn, there is something that awakens in my spirit that says, I must have God. That's what earnestly seeking Him is. So now we come to Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, which says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, by view of the mercy of God, present yourself at the crack of dawn. Do you get that kind of desperate kind of, not like, oh, you know, when you, when you get the time, when you feel like your kids are all peaceful, and you got a chill moment to yourself with your cup of coffee and your Devo, present yourself. Guess what, people? Life does not give you that luxury. For anyone who has had kids, <laughs> or anyone who has just walked through life, as you become an adult, you start to discover, man, the amount of things you got to worry about or the things you got to get done, they don't wait for you. They're not waiting for you to have coffee. They're not waiting for you to go have your morning shower. I mean, if you manage to get your shower in the morning, on some days you'd be, you'd be happy. But there is a necessity for my soul which like awakens like a, like a ravenous beast almost. Like, like you know that, gro that growling when you've not eaten? Where you're so hungry, I need something. That is the heart of a worshiper that says, I must go and appear before God. So I urge you, don't wait for that ideal moment. Sure, do you want to set aside time? If you're able to do that successfully, do it. Try and make these things. But again, it's not a legal, this is not a legalism requirement. What I'm sharing with you is a heart thing. When your heart is there, you will find the time. Because it's a matter of personal priority. And it's not an indictment of you if you suddenly feel like, I really cannot do this at 4.30 or 5 in the morning. That's not the point of what I'm saying. The point of what I'm saying is, is there something that drives you that says, I haven't spoken with the Lord? It's like that, that drink of water that it's not just a sip I need. I desperately need Him to fuel everything I do. So when you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, we're talking about presenting, not just, oh, here I am. Here we go. Here I am, Lord. No, by everything, my body, my heart, the motivations of my mind, my intentions, my words, which we use so much in a day, and half of them are useless. Lord, I want to bring all of it to you in view of the mercy of God. As a living sacrifice. So now, your responses have a platform. Your responses have a platform that is not just, 
I guess this is what Christians do. Because this is now a life-giving tool to know God. Worship is my way of presenting myself before God and saying, Lord, this is our time together. How do I know you more today? How do I know you more in this time? If it could be with songs, and we'll cover that. But whatever it is, I'm coming before God to present myself before Him. It's almost like if you are in, in boot camp of some, kind, some um, wing of the military. During training camp, there is a part of your daily routine, which is prepping your bed, making sure you're ready, and you have to present. You have to be presentable at the foot of your bed before, morning, any, before any morning activities happen. There's a presentation. And your, your uniform has to be proper. Your shoes have to be proper. Your bed has to be proper. All of that, these are a part of the routines. Do some of them feel excessive? Maybe to some, some of us here. But guess what? It trains an attitude of, I do not get to slack on presenting myself. I don't get that. So as a matter of personal priority, I must present myself before God in view of what Jesus has done. Not in view of what I have done. Because that's a temptation too. Well, in me, you know, no one knows my situation and no one knows what I've been through. And <laughs> Guess what? There's a lot going on in your life. But present yourself in view of what? Thank you. So I, I understand, and I'm not trying to be facetious when I'm Making, I'm not making light of your situation. But please, you have the work of the cross. Come with the work of the cross. Why are you coming with the, You know, and I'm so broken. Stop talking about how broken you are first. We will deal with that. Start with the work of the cross. We will get to the broken. We will get to the I'm feeling like crap. We'll get to the I don't know what. We'll get to all that. But start as a matter of discipline. Whether you feel like the best soldier or not, I present myself in view of God's mercy. Now the relationship has room for fellowship. And guess who I get to meet? A father who says, son, tell me what's going on. But the problem is we want to circumvent that and say, you got to see my boo-boo. I want cornflakes. Sounds silly. But anyone who's had a toddler knows that. I want to wear the pink dress. First, good morning, mom. Morning, dad. There are certain rhythms that you can start to develop to address some of this. I am first. I need to be noticed first. No, you don't. Remember who you're dealing with because you've forgotten the third R. You are working with the one who created you. Yes, he's your father. Sure. Ah, I am presenting myself before God. Lord, I come in view of what you have done. But guess what? Even on days when you have had tantrums, and I have had tantrums, and I, all of those things I just explained are me. 
He has been gracious to alert me to a heart issue and says, son, you came the wrong way. Go back and put on Jesus. Go back. Let's, let's start again. You're fine. And he puts it, he does it all the whole time. He's, he's not pushing me away. Get until you, no, he doesn't do that. He comes alongside me and says, you have the work of Jesus. Come with Jesus. Put it on. It's all right. I will deal with that. I know the boo-boos. I know you want to put the pink dress on. I know. We, I know all of that. I'm your dad. But first, let's deal with this. Let's deal with this. The more you as a child of God grow up into saying, I need to choose this as a matter of first importance. I'm telling you, all the big cataclysmic things that everything is going haywire in my life will come to a place of resolution, not necessarily because the problem is solved, but because you are resolved in who He is. You are settled. This is my God. This is my Father. This is the one who loves me and has called me. So now my response is changed. The wine changes to a different kind of thing. The response I have changes from a to a, a Lord, this is hard. Lord, I'm struggling. It's not just a wine about me. This is me pouring my heart out to God. We'll get there. Worship as a whole. Let me just draw this in a broad umbrella kind of picture. Starts with three, you, you could put worship in three big buckets. One is thanksgiving, the second one is praise, and the third one being worship adoration. Okay? So, like three big themes or big buckets. And all of worship is one thing, so you cannot separate them really. But for you to understand that there are things of God that you can learn to become more skillful at in how you pursue God. So you start to get some of these things. It's, it's just like changing my clothes, putting my shoes on. These are things that get me ready so that I'm not in a place of, I don't know what to do next. These are rhythms that you can start to develop. Why does worship always start with the first one I mentioned? Thanksgiving is always the doorway into God's presence. Now this, I won't go into this in detail. If you want, we can sit down later. You can come and talk to me. This is why God set up the tabernacle of worship in the desert when the Israelites were coming out. He set up a tabernacle and there was an outer court, an inner court, and the Holy of Holies. There was a reason there was that separation. There was a progression. It wasn't just, I guess I'm here. Let's go, God. Let's do this thing. No, no, no. There was a certain awareness of, if I'm coming before God, I need to take certain steps. And the first thing that they would see was an altar right at the front door. So basically, if you were to imagine it like our church building, right at that front door, there was a huge altar where there had to be a sacrifice. So you couldn't get past the front door without there being a sacrifice. You don't just come. What do you mean? What about the come as you are? You know, your family, you belong. No. If you've not come through the sacrifice of what Jesus has done, you don't get to belong. You don't get to come as you are. 
It's such a big shift from where the church is today. Now, is the church meant to be a place that loves the world and generously receives all and anyone regardless of background? Absolutely. But we must be very, very clear. You cannot make that equate to you are the church. It doesn't. Because the ones who are called by His name are the ones who have come through that front door. Now the modern church is, for all intents and purposes, is not necessarily only a Christian meeting. There, there are some churches that do meetings where you can have unbelievers in the church. and So again, it's not about the location. The issue is if, if you're going to connect with God in worship, it has to be by way of Jesus. You don't just get to have it any other way. This is why Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now those words were very specifically chosen because the outer gates of God's presence, when you were going to the tabernacle, was called the way into God's presence. Now the inner courts, which were called the holy place, was called the doors of truth. And in the presence, which was the holy of holies, was called the life. So when Jesus is saying that, he's saying is, I have fulfilled these things so you can come. When he declared it is finished, guess what he tore? The veil that hid the life of God from the people out there. So when he said it is finished, he said the life of God, John chapter 10 verse 10, I've come that you might have life and have it. In its fullness, not in its halfness, not cloaked, not just for a year until the next sacrifice. He says he has done this once for all. And you are all covered by the same covenant that he has made in his blood. Read Hebrews 9 and 10. When you start to see that the work of Jesus not only was there for them, but is for me. I get to come, but I must come in view of God's mercy. Thanksgiving is the door. Because guess what Thanksgiving is? Is looking at what God has done. What do you say thanks for? What's something? Something someone has done. So the word we use is thank you. And guess what? When you start with thankfulness for the work of the cross, you start to come to an awareness Wow, I have been given so much. Gratitude positions your heart. It softens your heart from all the junk that's been going on and all the things. Now, remember I was talking to you about that little, like, mm, Lord, notice me. This is what, I understand all that. But when I start with, Lord, thank you for this day. I don't, you don't owe me this day. You don't owe me another year of my life. You don't owe me a happy marriage. You don't owe me more money in my bank account. You don't owe me any of these things. But thank you for this day. In view of the mercy that you have placed on my life, I come. Thanksgiving then opens the door to see, now this is what God does. Now let me have a look at what He's like. And that's where... Getting into the Word of God is so important. Because you start to find, not just in your history, which is, which is what you just did with Thanksgiving. You're like, oh, this is what God did. And He did this then, and He did that. And he... 
oh, yeah, I mean, wow, I didn't even know God did all that in my life. You now have a story of what God did. Now I'm like, okay, let's move into praise where I start to say, I direct my heart to say, this is who you are. God is almighty. Now that is a title he has. But when has God showed himself to be mighty in my life? God is provider. When has God showed himself to be provider in my life? I go over the story. Now I have ammunition. Now I'm locked and loaded. So when I come to God and I say, Lord, you are worthy of being the provider of my family. You are the rock. There is no God like our God. These are all Psalms. You start to find it's not just empty words you're throwing out there. It starts to become a life. Things like, wow, this is something that comes out of who I am. I'm not just throwing words in the air. And you will find it will always affect not only your heart, but when your heart affects your... That big mouth of ours that we use for a whole bunch of other things, it hits that mouth too. Let me dispel one big lie, which is there in today's worship. There is no such thing as contemplative worship. That does not exist. Worship, by necessity, involves your whole being. Sure, there are times you ponder, there are times you reflect, but if it does not result in a declaration with this mouth that he has given you, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And you say, no, I don't do that. Okay, to him who has, more is given. To the one who doesn't, it is taken away. Be careful who you're dealing with. Jesus himself said this. The problem is we think God is just playing when he says these things. I assure you he is not. If you have breath in those lungs, you please use it. Not for fear of what God might do to you. Again, that's the cheater mentality of saying, I won't cheat in case he finds out. No, no, no. It's, he is calling me to use these words because it draws me to him. It pulls me close to him. So I must come to him with these words. Because they're fake, not because they're Christian, but because God has shown me who he is and I must respond. Are there times I pray in my mind? Absolutely. But I make sure, regardless of who is listening, there are times I have to do it in spite of people being there. But there are times I specifically take time aside. So I can do this loudly. So I'm not encumbered by, I don't want to disturb somebody else, I don't want to disturb my kids, or it's too early, or it's too late, or all of those things. Find a way for yourself to say, regardless, even if it's just a room audible volume, I will use my mouth to say, God, I give you myself because you are almighty. I give you the words of my mouth because you are holy. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. Through him then, let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips that acknowledge his name. The problem is we don't want to acknowledge his name. 
Now, if I said it like that, you'd be like, Judah, that's not true because I do acknowledge God. Then acknowledge his name. Stop trying to get all modern on us and say, that's not how I do it. Scripture encourages you to use your mouth. I'm telling you, this is for you. This is, you're not going to add to God by suddenly saying something. This is not some magic sauce that somehow makes God's life better. This is for you, that he chooses to reveal himself to you through these things. These are life tools. When you bring your mouth and say, Lord, I'm going to offer it to you in praise. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim that word there is yell loudly so that lots of people hear the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is the life of the church. So going back to thanksgiving, then there's praise, which is telling God about who he is and what he, what he does. This is character-based, personality-based. This is who he is. This is not connected necessarily to something he's done for you. So whether I have seen it or not, this is who he is. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Lord, I praise you because you're the God who brings peace where there is chaos. You're the God who delights to bring peace to your people. Now, your personal situation might be, I have, not, I have been in turmoil for a long time. But my praise sets, sets me up. It's almost like setting me up for something that is going to be a surefire touchdown. It sets me up for that to go straight in. Why? Because I have already opened myself for the revelation of God being my peace. So I say, now Lord, now I'm going to let your Holy Spirit do the spirit and truth thing, which is teach me what peace really is. This is who you are. I cannot make you the God of peace because I don't think you are because in my situation it doesn't really look like it. Ah, that's where you're praising on the basis of your circumstance. But praise is connected to who he is, not what you think he is. To me, what I get out of it is not in the equation here. The issue is this is who you are and you're worthy of it. You're worthy of that name. So I'm going to give it to you. Finally, when we get to this place of adoration, which is worship as we call it, this is where you're, you're drawn to the holiness of how different God is. So yes, this is who you are, but this is who you are so different from everything else. The separateness of God starts to dawn on you. Yes, God is peace, but He brings peace like no one else can bring peace. And I'm brought into a revelation of that that my heart responds to. So all of these things are not conjured up. I want you to see that in everything I just mentioned, right from Thanksgiving all the way to the other end, none of this is conjured. It's not like, come on people, let us get into the, let's get into the spirit of things. No. I cannot make you hop around or jump around if you have not already seen that God is that to you. 
And the point of it is that this is a fragrant offering to him because of a sacrifice that has been made. What is pleasing to the Lord? When you and I constantly, everything that we do, right from the front door all the way into the holiest place, the priests that would offer sacrifices to God. Didn't I just read to you from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9? You are a royal priesthood. God has called you, His children, to become priests unto Him. So guess what priests would do in the Old Testament? The moment that offering was made, they would take the blood of that offering and then they would apply it to their ear, to their thumb, to their big toe, and all of the instruments of worship in the house of God were sprinkled with the blood as they walked into the presence of God. What does it signify? That everything requires a spotless sacrifice. It cannot be, it cannot be just my cooked up version of it. It cannot be my Christianized version of, I guess this, the song says Jesus, so it must, mean, must be good. I don't get to come as I am. As much as that sounds right, it isn't right. You don't get to come as you are. You get to come clothed in Jesus. By the way, I'm talking about the house of God. I am not talking about your house and how you deal with people who are friends. That is the place where you draw people to the encounter with this living God. But as far as we're talking about the church of God, you don't just belong because you want to. You belong because you have acknowledged Jesus as Lord. That's the only way in. I'm, so, I'm not trying to be dismissive or exclusive or non-inclusive or whatever w- w- word you want to brand it. It's not about branding. It is about the work of Jesus. If I do not come with the work of Jesus, everything else is pointless. So when I present myself, I come with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving sets me up to look at the story of God in my life. And then pray says, Lord, this is who you are. This is what you've done. And not only done in my life, but you've done in the past. This is your story. This is God's story. So I'm going to sing a hymn. You know what hymns are? Hymns are not old songs that dead people wrote. Hymns are songs, right? Hymns are specifically, it comes from that period of writing a story of someone's greatness. Okay, what is a hymn? A story of someone's greatness. So now when you see the word hymn in the Bible, it's not talking about a song. Most hymns back in the old days were ways people transferred knowledge to a next generation. Let me tell you the story of Israel. And it would be a hymn to God. This is what God did. And if you read Psalm 28, you read different Psalms, they're literally going line by line, this is what God did. And this is what He did next. And this is what He did next. And guess what happened in my life? God did this, and then He did that, and then He did this. David was someone who was experienced at writing hymns. God saved my flock from the bear. 
and from the lion. God delivered them into my hands. God delivered Goliath into my hands. And God led me through this dark period. And then he helped me when I was serving with Saul. He was someone who went over the story of God constantly. When you bring to God offerings that acknowledge who he is, you are set up for, let me take you for the VIP experience. Do you understand? You know, have, have any of you purchased a VIP experience at any concert? I couldn't afford them, so I've never done it. But anyway, but if you ever have, you get, the, you get that one-on-one -on -one with the artist. And you get to hear about what was behind that song or painting or that writing or whatever it was. And you get a personal one-on-one -on -one that, that cannot be said in the same breath as everything else that everyone has already heard. Do you understand? So worship is one of those holy things. And when I say worship, I'm talking about this adoration where he draws you into a personal space where he says, now it's just you and me. And guess what happens in that place? Tell me, what happened to your boo-boo? You like that dress a lot? And he not only shows you who he is, but he receives who you are into a place where he says, let me reform, let me reshape, let me address those things, let me apply ointment to that. That is a place where it's just you and him. And guess what? Because of what Jesus did on the cross, all of those steps are rolled into one. I don't have to do steps anymore, but what I am aware of is, have I come with thanksgiving? Or am I just wanting to skate to the good part? Where I get my, my ego dealt with, where I get my issues dealt with. Do you see what has happened in today's worship is, it's become a consumer-based concept. We forget in worship, we are the consumee, not the consumer. Who's the consumer? God is. God's the consumer of worship. So as much as I'd love to hear about whether you thought today's worship service was great, I really don't care. The issue is, did he love what he heard? And that is what my sister was sharing in, in what she said is you need to understand that when you come before God, we are the offering in view of what Jesus has done. Because of what Jesus has done, I become an offering to God that blesses his heart. He's like, oh, that is so sweet. And it's not in a pandering way. He's not trying to, aw, aw. You know how sometimes we kind of like pander to kids' cuteness? Aw. But you can tell when someone is pandering, and then you see the parent who actually is genuinely pleased by their lame attempt at picking dandelions and giving it to you. How stupid is that? A dandelion. You picked a dandelion to get... Oh my gosh, but it is the best offering a mom could ever receive, a dad could ever receive. Why does it please a parent's heart? when it is something so ludicrous to the common person who is just from the outside looking in because it is precious to him. What is it that he was looking for? A heart that sought after him. 
When my daughter runs and gets me something and she's like, I drew you a card, it is gibberish. But it is the best card to receive because it comes from someone who says, I'm thinking about you. I love you. And I want you to know it. Do you see your heavenly father is not neglectful of what you go through. So when you come to him and you bring your adoration, he says, I want to dote on you. I want to give to you. So these gathered times of worship should become places where our sole aim is, Lord, when this service is done, there is none of me left. Let this offering be consumed entirely. But because I am his child, he says, I'm going to give you a goodie bag like no other. I'm going to give you something from my presence that could not be quantified by hundreds of hours of Bible study. He says, I'll give it to you for free. Just like that. Because I love you. Just like that. Because I adore you. Just like that. I'll give it to you. Suddenly, worship is not this one-way street where I guess he is God, so I have to do it. So for me now, what drives my worship is not that God is worthy. It is because I love him so much. I'm not trying to quantify his worth in some kind of scale. You are the most precious thing to me, person to me, so I will do all it takes to meet with you. And when I do, worship happens. So as we go over next week, I will get over some, some words that we can deal with how specifically worship works in, in Scripture. And I'm going to deal with the last R. So today we dealt with response. The last R is refrains or responses that are corporate. So how do we get into places where we rehearse the things of God? This is how... Like a lot of people talk about the church meeting for various reasons. We don't realize that the primary purpose of the church meeting is not to hear teaching. The primary purpose of the church meeting is to celebrate and worship the Lord. When the people of God encounter God for who He is, in very, very personal ways, but collectively, there's something special. It's not... What you are having here right now is not personal worship. This is not just your heart communing with God. Though a lot of church meetings have become that. Where it's just me and God. You can do that at home. Do you understand? This is why we also get the context for you can worship from home. You cannot do what we do here from home. And it's got nothing to do with whether there's a live stream or not. The issue is... Am I practiced in the rehearsing of the things of God with the people of God? And this is a big component of worship we'll cover next week. Amen? All right, I want to call Brian up quickly so that we can talk through that.